chapter 3, verse 1. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. I'm going to pause there for a moment and talk about Jehoram. If you remember from last week, from 1 Kings chapter 1, we saw that the son Ahaziah actually took over the kingdom from his father Ahab. Now Ahab was probably, the at this point in time, the most wicked king that Israel had had to date. Now, uh, over and over we've had these kings of, of the northern kingdom, Israel, compared to Jeroboam. And it says that they persisted in the sins of Jeroboam. If you remember that Jeroboam's sin was false worship of God, where Ahab's sin was false worship of false idols. There's a little bit of difference. Jeroboam, when he became king uh, during, uh, after Solomon, when the kingdom was divided, Jeroboam decided that he was afraid of Israel going back to Judah, to Jerusalem, to worship at the temple. And he said, wow, if they go to Jerusalem, if they go to Judah and they worship at the temple, they're going to want to stay there and I'm going to lose my kingdom. And again, he didn't believe the promises of God, so he set up a, a different place for the people of Israel to worship and said, okay, you worship here. And he also kind of booted all the Levites because the Levites said, hey, you can't worship that way. It's here in God's law. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. This is really great. Get out of here. And, uh, and so Jeroboam persisted in the false worship of God and was disobedient. And he handed down this legacy of disobedience where Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel persisted in idolatry and the worship of idols in Israel. Well, Ahaziah... The, one who, the son who followed Ahab, he obviously, we remember he fell through the lattice, fell down, and he went to go find, uh, pursue the prophets of Baal. Elijah met, Elijah, sorry, met him on the road and said, uh, is there no God in Israel that you would go to, to the prophets of Baal and seek, seek their, this truth, uh, what's going to happen to you? And so Ahaziah was told he's going to die. And he did die, and now Jehoram takes over. But Jehoram did some good things. He got rid of the sacred pillar of Baal. So he, he got rid of this idolatry. Uh, I don't know so much that it was motivated because of repentance or any turning to God. It seems like it was more motivated by political circumstances. But nonetheless, we get this note that he put away the bells. However, he still persists in the sins of Jeroboam. And, and we see that he did not depart from them. And so that's where we pick up in this chapter with Jehoram. Jehoram is kind of a mess of a king. I think he's one of those guys that doesn't really know what he believes. And he's just kind of going to do what seems to be the flavor and what everybody's acceptable with, which is really doing nothing at all. Well, verse 4, now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. 
But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Remember that 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now, I want to point this out to you. This is just a fun fact for you. 1868, this little tablet was found. Actually, it was a big find. Uh, that picture, you got that? Bam. No. I tried. So maybe it'll come up. Let me know when it comes up. Um, so uh, this tablet was found, and it's just, oh, there we go. Uh, this Stella, and it's called the Mesha Stella or Mesha Stone or the Moabite, Moab Stone. And this stone is an account from Mesha, king of Moabite, the Moab. Uh, and it's, uh, it mentions these kings of Israel. It has a little different outcome to this chapter, and we'll explain why, what he records there. But uh, this was an important archaeological find because it's basically just supporting what the Bible's saying as far as these kings go, mentioning them, mentioning Mesha. Uh, it was a, a, quite an incredible find. And, uh, and it was found, uh, oh, I told you, 1868. So that's, uh, that, that's a fun fact about Mesha here, king of Moab. So he's a sheep breeder. He was giving Israel 100,000 rams and 100,000 lambs. But now Ahab's dead. He doesn't need to give him those things. Verse 6, so King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. <clears throat> will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as, are, uh, as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days there was no water for the army nor the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver the hand of Moab. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment. It says, Lean, what I was getting from Moab, I've got to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. So he reached out to King Jehoshaphat of Judah, the king of Judah. Now, if you remember, in 1 Kings 1, Jehoshaphat went to war with Ahab. And, and uh, if you remember, Jehoshaphat, when they were getting ready, when, when Ahab said, hey, will you go to war with me? And Jehoshaphat said, well, isn't there a prophet that could tell us whether God wants to do this or not? And, and, uh, and so <laughs> they brought in all these prophets from 1 Kings 22. You can read the story. And uh, still, Jehoshaphat says, well, isn't there an actual prophet that will tell us the truth? <laughs> and they brought in Micaiah, and, of course, and, and Ahab was like, oh, I hate this guy. He always gives me bad news. You know, I don't want to hear from this guy. And so uh, Micaiah comes in, gives him good news, and Ahab says, you know what? How come you'll never tell me the truth? <laughs> he knows right away God doesn't have good news for him. And so Micaiah tells him the truth and that, Ahab, you're going to die if you go to war. And sure enough, Ahab dies. And uh, Jehoshaphat, that's where we kind of met Jehoshaphat. Well, Jehoshaphat was actually a very godly king. And we're going to see a story from him in Second Chronicles. Part of the reason why I think he was so willing to come up to battle 
against uh, Moab, and we'll, we'll look at that in just a moment. But, but as they gather together, they also gather the king of Edom. Now, there actually wasn't a king of Edom at this time. The, it was a regent king. Uh, the, Edom was under Judah. And so Jehoshaphat must have called up Edom and said, okay, bring out your armies. You're going to go with us. And they went this roundabout way, the Bible says. Basically, they went down uh, kind of su- through southern, the southern part of the kingdom, coming up to the, from the south to Moab, uh, and they went through this real desert area. And there's a problem. There's no water for the army. This is a major problem. If you're going to move an army... And if you're going to move animals to tow your weapons of warfare and tow your uh, and pull your chariots and all these things, water is, is an essential part of that. And you've got to get the logistics together. Well, as they're traveling through this, they're seeing that this is desert. Now look at what Jehoram, the king of Israel, says. Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Basically, sure enough, God doesn't like me. We're going to get delivered into Moab. He's got a guilty conscience right away. He's like, yep, it figures. And you would think that Jehoram might have be a little bit wise to this because he saw his dad Ahab die. He saw his brother Ahaziah die. And it was, and it was always associated with a rejection of God. And so here Jehoram's like, figures, we're all going to die. But look at what Jehoshaphat says in verse 11. Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Wow, that's almost the same thing he said to Ahab, uh, Jehoram's dad, in 1 Kings 22. Let's inquire of a prophet of the Lord. Let's, let's ask God what he's brought us out here for. What an amazing idea. See, there's the difference between a relationship with God and, and being separated from God. Joram is left to just kind of guess. Oh, the universe has decided. Have you ever heard that statement? The universe has brought us together. That doesn't even make sense. Is the universe a person? Does the universe have intent? Have you guys ever thought about that? When people say statements like that, the universe saw fit to bring us together. The universe saw fit to do this. And it's like, you're talking about the universe like you would talk about God, but because you want to reject God, you say, oh, we'll replace with universe. So Jehoram is just here saying, well, it must be because God doesn't like me. He brought us out here all to die. And Joseph is like, wait a minute, that's not my God. He wouldn't bring me out here to die. And I would, I would, we don't know from the text, but I would weigh heavily on the assumption, again, this is an assumption, that before Jehoshaphat said yes to going with Jehoram to war, that Jehoshaphat consulted the Lord God. And I'll show you why in just a moment. But so one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, yeah, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So the servant of the king of Israel, of Jehoram, knows Elisha's in the area and says, 
That's the one. He's a prophet. Now notice how he describes Elisha. The son of Shaphat is here. Look at this. Who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Who poured waters on the hands of Elijah is the description. Not Elisha, the one who got the mantle from Elijah. Not Elisha, the one who slapped the Jordan with the mantle and it parted after Elijah was taken up in a fiery chariot. Not Elisha, who said, the the Lord deal with you to the 42 youth uh, where the two she-bears come out and maul them. Remember that fun story last week? Uh, not that. He says the, man, the, the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. What does that mean? It's Elisha, the servant of Elijah. Elisha served Elijah. He poured water. He, he helped Elijah, Elijah wash his hands. You know, when I'm in Africa, we don't have sinks and running water oftentimes in the refugee camps. In fact, I've never once seen a sink with running water in the refugee camps. Uh, what we have is, is uh, when we get ready to eat, we're just kind of sitting around these little plastic chairs. Somehow those plastic chairs are everywhere in the world. Go China. <laughs> And we're sitting around in these plastic chairs. Uh, they're about ready to serve the meal. They're getting ready. And uh, a woman will come around and it's, it, she'll bow because that's the, the custom that they do. She'll bow down with a pitcher and, and a bowl. And you'll put your hands out and she'll begin to pour the water on your hands and you'll get wet. Then you'll grab the soap, you soap up. And then she continues pouring the water. And then when you say, okay, that's enough, and you do it. Then she gets up, she goes to the next person, she bows down and she pours the water. And um, it's, it's the way they do it. It's their custom. And it, you, everywhere I go, that, that's just the way it goes. The water pitcher comes by and it is fun when you go with somebody who's never been there because what they try to do is bow down too. Because we all feel bad when someone bows to us, right? And, and then, then the woman tries to get lower, you know. Um, but, but she's just serving you by pouring the water over your hands so you can wash them. What a wonderful statement. Elisha, the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. This is a success for ministry. It's a success, uh, a recipe for success in the kingdom of God. Do you remember what Jesus said when the disciples were arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom? They were like, all right, Jesus, maybe you can settle this for us. Actually, they didn't even ask him. They argued behind him. And Jesus said, what are you guys talking about? They're like, well, it was Peter. <laughs> he brought it up, you know. And Jesus said that, that among, among men born of women, there hasn't been one greater than John the Baptist. Um, but I'll tell you, whoever is the least of these is greater than he. There's servant leadership, which is so important in the kingdom of God. And Elisha was made a prophet of God, I am confident, because he served the prophet of God. So, so Jehoshaphat's told that Elisha's here. Je, uh, Jehoshaphat's heard of Elisha. At the very least, he's heard of Elijah, so he knows this is a prophet of God, but I'm sure he's heard of Elisha. So verse 13, then Elisha, uh, then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what, they all go to the king of Israel. What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. 
You remember who his father is? Ahab. You remember who his mother is? Jezebel. Do you remember who their prophets were? Prophets of Baal. That's, uh, so when, when Elisha says, what have I to do with you? It's kind of the Hebrew saying of, you've got no business here. And if you want a word from God, go to your prophets. Go to the prophets of your mom and your prophets of your dad. What is Elisha doing? Well, it's not saying that Elisha won't serve the Lord. It's not even saying that Elisha won't serve and, and answer these kings in this moment of need. What it's saying is, Jehoram, you're going to admit that you need the Lord God, the one true God, the God of Israel. I'm not going to let you just say that, well, that's one opinion. Let me get the opinion of this God over here, or that opinion of that God. No. And so Elijah says, what have I to do with you? You go to their prophets. Now look at what Jehoram says. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. There he is. Yep, figured as much. Uh, and so he's just c- confident that uh, God has, has said no to him. Well, Elisha said, verse 14, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you, but now bring me a musician. Wow. So because Jehoshaphat is with Jehoram, Elijah says, Elisha says, well, because he's with you, I'll speak, I'll speak to you. As the Lord of hosts lives before, before whom I stand, Surely were it not that I regard his presence. Well, who is Jehoshaphat that Elisha is so concerned with his presence? Well, Jehoshaphat's a godly king. Here's what I was going to tell you about this story that might give us some background on why Jehoshaphat was willing to go to war. Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's a bit of a long story, but we're not going to see this in Kings. And it's worth looking at here. Shortly after the war with Ahab, when Ahab died, this event happens to the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. Chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles, verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. You remember in Gedi was the place where David went and hid out from Saul? (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. That is a godly leader. Jehoshaphat sees a problem on the horizon, a very dangerous problem of these armies coming against him. And what does he do in his fear? He set himself to seek the Lord. Not only did he set the example to seek the Lord, 
But we see that all the peoples of Judah start, they turn and seek the Lord. Joseph had declared a fast. We're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to seek him in this, in this issue and let God lead us. Now, I want to say this to heads of family, dads, and if you're a single mom, whatever the case, if you're the only Christian in the household, you set the example of godliness. You, when, when there are troubles on the horizon, don't hide those troubles from your children. Bring your children into them. Teach your children and how to seek the Lord through those things. Because I'll tell you right now, what you're doing is you're giving them a legacy of faith. You are bringing them a part of it. You are saying, let us seek the Lord together in this. Now, kids may not, depending on how old they are, they may not know how to seek the Lord. But that's why you're going to teach them as the leader of your household. So, so Jehoshaphat says, we're, we're going to fast They gathered up Judah. Now verse 5, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, this is a beautiful prayer, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might? so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple." And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What a beautiful prayer. Jehoshaphat, if it sounds a little familiar, like I think I've heard this prayer before. Uh, if there's some similarities there, if you remember Solomon when he dedicated the temple, and he said, Lord, when you send pestilence, when you send famine, when you send armies against us, if we will turn and seek you, if we will pray, God, you will come and rescue. And God says, yes, I'll do that. And he repeated that back to Solomon. And and so here Jehoshaphat saying, I remember my father, or father's father, father, (laughs) saying, saying to that, that this was the full seek you, and so now I'm seeking you. And, and Lord, you know that this is your possession. And, and we are your people. And if you want to destroy us, well, verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones. Do you see that? All Judah with their little ones, wives and their children stood before the Lord. Get together and let's seek the Lord. We want to involve our children, our family, our wives 
in seeking God, especially in times of calamity. I don't understand it when they say, we got to keep this from our kids. we got to make sure to pray to God. They're too young to us and say, hey, our family is struggling. We need to ask God not to worry our kids, but to teach our kids to place the Lord, to give it to the Lord. <clears throat> so the, the families come out. They stood before the Lord. Then, then the Spirit of the Lord, verse 14, came upon Jehaziel, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed, great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need this battle. Position and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of them bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness. If they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And as they went out before, for the army, they were saying, for his mercy endures forever. Well, that's all we're going to read there in Second Chronicles. Wonderful story. I encourage you to finish reading it on your own. <laughs> but we can see why Jehoshaphat, Elisha says, I'll, I'll speak because of him, because he's here. Because he's one who actually seeks God. That's why I'll speak to you, Jehoram. Because Jehoshaphat is, Jehoshaphat is sincerely saying, hey, whoa, we got to ask God about this problem. Jehoshaphat has a history of waiting on God multiple times and God honoring those prayers. And as a result, it just says, bring in a musician. Uh, there's some sort of worship music that, that Elijah looking for. Just goes to show, show that music is powerful and can be spiritual, very spiritual. And, um, then it happened when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him, they were in verse 15, came upon him, verse 16, and said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches, for thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. Deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city. Cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with 
stones. Now it happened that was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Eden, and the land was filled with water. So, <clears throat> yeah, we all came out here to be delivered to Moab. Joseph says, let's seek the Lord. God says, yeah, I'll, I'll give you water, but there's something that Now, Jehoshaphat, because he has a history with God, because Jehoshaphat has an, because he's waited on the Lord, he's dependent upon the Lord, he's heard from the Lord, and he's gone and been obedient to what God, if God ditches, you better believe you know what Jehoshaphat's going to go do. He's going to go dig ditches. See, God told, told Jehoshaphat, armies coming against him in Second Chronicles 20, as they come against him, this this is not your battle, but you get to watch and go out. So Jehoshaphat did that. He didn't say, well, God, you said it's not your battle. Go, he went. Now God says, dig ditches. Why dig ditches? You're not going to see any rain. You're not going to see any cliffs in water. This is no thing for the Lord. So it seems that God caused the rain to fall far away. The water ran down, filled up their ditches and there was plenty of water for their, their armies and their, their animals' ditches. You know, there are times in our lives us to dig ditches. That's it. You be faithful. Oh, but it's so hard. Why am I digging ditches? I'm using up water. I'm right here. Of dehydration. You're digging ditches because God called you to dig a ditch. So dig a ditch. Be faithful. Just like Jehoshaphat was called to go out and face the army, even though he wasn't going to fight. I remember Peter wrapping up the nets for the night, for the day, after fishing all night. And in Lord Jesus said, go back out and cast the net. And Peter said, oh, Lord, we've been fishing all night. But your word, Lord, I'll go do it. And he brought in the nets were tearing. And he comes back in and say, away from me, I am a sinful man. The disciples were with Jesus. On, <clears throat> and that's the question, Lord, you got to send these people away. It's getting late and there's nothing to eat and Jesus said, you give him something to eat. We got nothing, God. This would take half a year's wages for us to feed, have that kind of, that kind of funds. How do we do this? Gather up what you have. And they gather each pail. <laughs> Those five loaves and two fishes. Jesus gave thanks, and the disciples started ministering it to the people, not asking how, just be faithful. And in the end, they each get the bread. And you can see as their whole, each one is holding that, they say, it's not possible, God. Jesus just wanted them to be. Jesus told the disciples after his resurrection, wait in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. 
You wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send the helper. Power will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But wait. Well, God, I appreciate your plan, Jesus, but don't you think energy outside of Jerusalem? Because these guys don't like us so much. No, wait here in Jerusalem. Be faithful. With God, whether you have a history of your own experience, you at least have a history with the Word of God. Encourage you, don't neglect that history. God calls us to faithful. Sometimes, when we're called to faithfulness, we just don't even understand how spiritual. Certainly, digging a ditch out in the hot desert doesn't seem like a spiritual work. But God faithfulness. And so he honored this. Verse 21, I gotta hurry here. Uh, verse 21. And when the, all the Moabites said the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms at the border, then they rose up early in the morning in the sun water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side. And they said, this is blood. Surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. Well, here's what's happening. Moab wakes up. They see the sun. Because they know what it is, to them it looks like blood because rain. There's no reason that it would be water. This These to come against us, they got in a quarrel. They all killed each other. Let's go take him out. This is our opportunity. Amazing how the Lord works. Verse 4. So when they came up, came to the camp of Israel, up and attacked the Moabites, so that they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities and on every good piece of land and filled it. <clears throat> they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good... But they left Haraseth intact. However, the singers surrounded, uh, sorry, surrounded and attacked it. The capital Syria uh, was left intact as they've been, the armies of Judah and Edom have swept through. Now, I want to say this. Uh, I was speaking to a uh, week and he was, he was not feeling so well. He had malaria. You see, Dita had been arrested, and he'd put in jail. He went into a on the live stream. He's been ministering to and planning a church there and uh, ministering to some believers. And when he came back into the city for last, for converting people to Christianity, and uh, so they put him in a jail jail cell, and the jail was full of mosquitoes, terrible um, conditions. Gita, though, had an investigation from the anti-terrorism country, and we've been praying for him as he's been going through this problem. I, I don't really have time to go into it tonight. But as a result of this investigation that he's been, quite trust investigation that he's been dealing with, but they everywhere he goes. And uh, they found out he was in jail. In 
So they called up the police force and, and said, well, they said, well, he's in jail for converting people to, to. And they said, well, you can't do that. His country, although 99% Muslim, is uh, their country. They receive a lot of funds and support. France once used to be a colony of, and they received lots of funds and support from the West. And so under their uh, founding documents, they technically are not, they're not a Muslim country. Government officials finding out that he'd been arrested, they said, well, if people to Jesus, he's a pastor. That's watching him. They've been listening to him. They've been listening to his phone calls. They've been hearing him minister to people. And at this point in time, they say, you need to realize now. <laughs> in how God works. So they go and they pick him up, the anti-terror. They take him home. They did for the bill for all of his medical treatments, for the malaria. And the man who drops him off at his house I am sorry for just a little bit longer and sincere. Amazing what God does. Sometimes we don't know. So God wipes <laughs> wipes these. Verse 26, And when the king of Moab so was too furious for him, he took 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but not, not. so that Mesha tries to rally some troops. Then he took his, who would have reigned in his place as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed and returned to their own land. This king of Moab decided that if he was going to be successful in battle, he better offer his own son, sacrifice his own son for his success. Offended by it. They packed up. Israel still won. The Mesha tablet actually says that they were successful. They still paid Israel. It was a total loss. But Israel just couldn't even tolerate the idea of offering his own son as a burnt offering. That's what cults do. What idol worship does. That's what the evil one is you to trade your all your things for some bit of versus God says you call upon I. We'll fight. We'll win the day. What a difference. Lord, we call upon you now and we thank you. And Lord God, we ask to remove this virus from our land. Lord, that none in our church that I know of or in the hospital protected us. You've cared for us and we give you wisdom. We see that our community Communities 
have sacrificed the name of success. God, forgive us. Lord, we cry out to you and we ask for God. Lord, we don't want to worship you way. We want to worship spirit. May your hand of blessing be upon this congregation, all around us, people to you. Just like Jehoshaphat brought Jehoram, Lord, may we bring people to you. We thank you, dear God, we name. Amen.